Hello and welcome to 90% Hits, a podcast about the number one singles in Australia throughout the 90s. My name is Danny Yao and with me as usual is Tim Coyle. Yeah, bitch. Podcast. <laughs> Casey Atkins. Hello, everyone. And down the line from the Gold Coast, Tim Byron. Kevin DJ, let the bass crime go like... <laughs> yes, indeed. We are... Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> we are talking about the number one singles throughout the 90s, and we're up to the start of 1995. What a year it was. Tonight we start... Uh, we will be talking about five songs, and the first song we're talking about tonight... Uh, this song was number one for six weeks from the 4th of February, 1995. This is Will McCoy with Another Night. This one, Tim Coyle. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I pulled the short straw with this yeah. one uh, to keep this off. But yeah, uh, I think 1995, my attitudes towards dance and electronic music hadn't really progressed much since uh-huh. the last time we discussed this in the podcast. And as we'll find out as we progress tonight. Uh, I think this was a lean few weeks as far as me watching programs like Rage right until the end. Yeah, it's it's very... I think we've discussed before this very... the the formula with a lot of dance hits and the, the girl singer, the guy rapper kind of thing that's going on and you have that dynamic here and we've talked about how formulaic that can be, but listening to all these things again... I'm actually surprised just how formulaic it it really is. And you can see the trend over a number of years that this is really just a cut and paste kind of approach to a lot of these songs. And yeah, this is barely distinguishable from a lot of the other songs that have that boy-girl dynamic that we've discussed before. And it's just, it's done by rote. And yeah, that's... It is about as interesting as that implies. Casey Atkins. Yeah, you can you can sing um, the Culture Beat song over this. You can <laughs> sing Mr. Bane over the opening bit to this really, really easily. <laughs> um, like Tim, it's the the whole attitude towards electronic music um, didn't waver for me until I was in my 20s. So therefore, at this point, it was just all one big mash of just another one of these bloody songs. Um, and I, I was thinking about it this week is that what really started to develop, apart from um, just my fact that I just didn't like this song or songs like it is that I just 
I also started to get a real, like, I just couldn't believe how anybody else did like them, but they did like them, and so much to the point of number one for six weeks. But yeah, it's just, it's just another one, another night, another dream, another song. Tim Byron. I thought it was all right. <laughs> like, um, you know, I was 13 when this one came out. I'm 13 by this. Oh, actually, no, I'm st- sorry. I'm, I'm still 12 when this came out. And so I hadn't quite got into, um, you know, alternative music yet, like I suspect some of the other guys has. And so, you know, um, at the time, I think I remember listening to this and thinking, yeah, it's all right. I don't think I ever really loved this. But I remember thinking, yeah, it's all right. It's poppy enough. You know, I listen to it now. And what I was thinking was the other week um, on the podcast, we were talking about Cut and Moves, Give It Up. And I was talking about how this is the most Eurodisco song ever. Like, you know, that there's been none more Eurodisco than that. And then I listened to this this week and I was like... Oh, there it is. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> and, um, you know, listening to it this week, you know, I, was, I was expecting to hate it, kind of, but it's just kind of funny now. Like, I listen yeah. to it and it's just kind of funny because it's doing all the cliches. It's like a parody of itself in a bunch of ways. At the same time, you know, I had to write 2,000 words about the new single by Red Food this week, and so this sounds like fucking Radiohead in comparison. <laughs> <laughs> Daddy. Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, God, it's catchy, isn't it? <laughs> like, listening, knowing that this song is coming up this week, you know, there was no need to really, you know, dig deep into the file facts of my mind to try and remember what this song was. It was, you know, that chorus, yeah. that thing, you know, and it's still sort of used in, like, movies and things like that. So... I not good ones. Not good ones but, um, yeah, it's not a great song. It's not much to it. Uh, as someone who probably likes a lot of electronica, this is still a bad song. Yeah. <laughs> it's still the worst that it has to offer. And yeah, although you know it's not totally without merit, I guess because it is kind of catchy and stuff. I don't know. We're going to be talking about another song tonight that you know lacks some of even the what good elements there are of this song. So mm. uh, we just say that. Look, this is a, this is a weird one. Um, I'm guessing none of us were big fans of this. So nah. uh, I have a theory about electronic music. I mean, mainly, you know, knowing you, Casey, like I didn't really get into any, anything with real electronica until, yeah, well into the 2000s. And I think it might have been because of songs like this. Yeah, I think I think that's um, a big part of it. And even when we talked last week on our Choose Your Own Adventure episode about um, Closer, you, you brought in Closer by Thirty Nine mm. Inch Nails, and um, I struggled at the time to hear songs like that in a sea of songs like this. I you know, even things like that were were kind of no go areas for me because of stuff like this, and it's, it took till my twenties to actually go. Ah, yeah, no, it is a different thing, and it's got its own merits, and it's a, you know, um, you, you can't just say you know a blanket a blanket no because of the electronic drum beat. But um, but yeah, I think um, that's that's got a lot to do with it. But obviously, these things were were kind of going on at the same time, and. Mm. The thing that probably switched me onto electronic music more than anything else was the avalanches, and right. yeah, that didn't just come out of the blue. That yeah. came against the background of that that thing building up towards when that album was released. But this is the pointy end of electronic music in the charts, which is yeah. all, if that's all you get to get exposed to, 
is Kochi and the real McCoy, then yeah, I think your your perceptions of what electronic music is and what it can do are going to be constrained somewhat. And I think having discovered a lot of electronic music that I like, and I, as I've said before, when I was a little kid, I liked a lot of mm. that 80s electronic music. Um, when we talked about the Pet Shop Boys, um, I brought that up. And, yeah, being able to go back and find find a lot of those things that were going on in the early 90s that never made the charts in electronic music uh, is really interesting because, as I say, those things were there. It's just they weren't in the charts. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting with um with, with us all being sort of kids of the nineties, um we, we have a very different perspective on music to kids of like the two thousands or kids of the eighties. Like you talk to people who were kids in the eighties and um and they were all over the electronic kind of stuff. They loved like you know stuff like the Pet Shop Boys, and they loved you know all this music that was around in the eighties. It was very electronic. The, the, the Gary Newmans of the world and Petro, yeah, the Gary Newmans the of the world. Cause, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yazoo. Yeah. 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 How many that times have Yaz come up in this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Not enough. <laughs> but yeah, you, you know, that stuff means something to them. And like kids now like, are really into Skrillex and, and stuff yeah. like that. And, you know, that, that means something to them. But for us, like, electronic music at the time was probably going through a bit of a, a trough. Um, in terms of stuff that was in the charts and kind of meant to be cool and stuff like that. And it didn't seem like there was much around in the 90s to us, at least getting exposed to the stuff we were getting exposed to. Um, so, yeah, so it, it's it's interesting, like, the you know, just when you grow up and how that changes how you hear music, in a way. Like, we're all hearing this kind of stuff because we grew up at a certain... We were certain ages in 1994, 95, and we you know, experience music as a result in a certain kind of way. But if we were a bit older, we probably would have hated some of the stuff we liked and vice versa. It's, it's not even necessarily just a chart or mainstream thing anymore. So much of what you would call indie or, or alternative is electronic nowadays. Yeah. When you go to Laneway, yeah. at least 50% of it is yeah. what we would call electronic. If you look, as we're speaking right now, the... Uh, probably the most hyped record of the week, which is the new Church's album, which is great. But, um, yeah, um, uh, purely electronic, but probably from one of the big, considered to be the big indie bands at the moment. So, yeah, there's been a big shift there. And, like, and you know, I, like, I really like um, Phoenix and, you know, and bands like that, and they've got as much as there are, um, you know, they, they play with live drums and all that kind of stuff, they've... they've there's such a, a, a bed of electronic music under, underneath mm. that as well. And it just took me so long to um, to come around to that kind of stuff. And when I'm thinking about it, just, having, just sitting here listening to the conversation and thinking about how irrational this thing I had for anything with an electronic mm. drum beat. Like, there's a lot of fucking awful rock music as well. Like, there's, there's no there's no real rational basis to, no. to me, um, like, discounting anything with an electronic drum beat. It's like me listening to, like, you know, be the same as me hearing Macbeth 20 and dismissing every, anything with a guitar. You know, it's, it's the same argument, though, isn't it? Which, which, which would be a reasonable yeah. conclusion to come yeah. to. Yeah. Or, like, P. Diddy when it comes to, to hip-hop and rap. Well, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. And yeah. I guess, but I guess, like, as a, as a teen, you've got to take a side. 
Like you've got to like, pick one side that's yours because there's you so much music out there. There's so much um, things you could possibly be listening to. You couldn't get through the whole of good hip hop. You couldn't get through the whole you're of right. like you know if you're a hip hop fan, you couldn't get the whole get through the whole of indie. You couldn't get through the whole of of this or that or classical or jazz. You've got to pick a side. You've got to like say this is who I am, yeah. and that's what people do. Yeah, you're right. I will say one other thing about uh, Real McCoy, and when I know we usually talk about the artists. But I think it's pretty clear. That, you know, we'll just talk about this one, right? But, um, yeah. but I actually own this album. <laughs> well, I did. I sold it recently. Um, did you sell it at the Rock and Roll Market? Yes, I sold it at the Rock and Roll Market. Who bought it? Who bought it? I don't know. Someone bought it. It was um, me. Well, maybe I sold it on eBay. I definitely got rid of it the last year. But yeah, it's. I just had it. It was one of those things that was around and I bought it. Do you remember buying it? Yes. I would have bought it from Campsie Center, like, you know, probably a big W and just, yeah. Why? Why would you have bought it at the time? Just because it was there? Bought everything. Yeah, you do have a lot of stuff. Yeah. So. (laughs) What are some of the other things you bought at the time? Like, I mean, I bought everything. Like, I mean, I remember everything from buying, like, corn Adidas (laughs) a single (laughs) to, like, you know. Wow. To things. And it was a big W. It was cheap. I thought you were just going to say corn. On the car. <laughs> <laughs> a horse, you know. Yeah, like, I mean, what didn't I buy? Our second song of tonight was number one again for six weeks. Mm. This song was number one from the 25th of March, 1995, and this is Hocus Pocus with Here's Johnny. This time, it's war. So, <laughs> so this is the thing I wanted to bring up as well. That's twelve straight weeks of very Euro disco, Euro trash stuff. Yeah, and, you know, I, I, I think, think for this me, is a different genre of electronica, though. Look, yeah. like back then, I would have said, "Oh, it's just the same." Right. But now, um, when you when you listen to this now, apart from like on top of that, it's a, it's a different thing. Okay, well, let's talk about the song first, quickly. Uh, Tim Byron, what's your opinion on Hocus Pocus? Here's Johnny. This is a song that um, I just found absolutely terrifying when I first heard it. Like, it was just, <laughs> what was this? What the hell was this? But, yeah, like, I, I, I didn't really know what Here's Johnny meant. I hadn't seen The Shining at that point. I don't think I'd even seen The Shinning by that point. <laughs> but, Sorry, um, I had to bring that up. Yeah, I was just amazed that this song, like, had no melodic content whatsoever. Like, there, there isn't a melody. It's all rhythm. There's no, like, sort of counterpoint melody. There's no sort of bass line. There's no sort of 
um, you know, the singer's not doing, there's no chords. It's just rhythm. It's just rhythm sort of pounding at you and being terrifying as it's pounding at you. And, um, yeah, like the other thing with this that, that I found like really odd uh, was that it sounded like video game music. This song I actually found quite fascinating watching, and especially watching the video with all the video game stuff in the video. Like, I found this really fascinating watching it and, like, wondering whether it was being beamed in from this dystopian future where humanity had been eliminated or something like that. So, yeah. Where music had been eliminated, perhaps. (laughs) Casey, Uh, so music's been eliminated? Um, Yeah, look, um, like I said, it, it, it did fall into the same overall bucket as the real McCoy song. <laughs> bucket, interesting word. Mm, good one, Casey. Um, but it was different though, wasn't it? It was just kind of, um, yeah, I get that it was a little bit frightening. It was a little bit, it was just so ridiculously, ridiculously fast. And again, I guess this was another thing that um, I just couldn't understand how people could like this. But I think it's, like the clip had something to do with it and the people who had seen The Shining. And, and I was listening to it today, again, having the same thought, how did people like this for so long? And then it occurred to me that a lot of people take drugs. <laughs> and, <laughs> I, <laughs> and, and we're going to be dancing around this for a while. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, let's just go straight for it. And, and, and that's what it's for. It's for people just off their tits in a club. Um, and that, that pounding that you spoke about there, um, Tim Byron, is, is just what it's about. It, it, all of that um, culture, that scene really needs in a certain um, sense is just something to, to, to bounce around to. Like they don't latch onto a melody and it, it doesn't need to be something catchy, you know, it just needs something to, um, you know, to pound and, and pound it does. Tim Clover. All doof, more doof makes Tim a dull boy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I really hated this when it came out and this week it didn't really endear itself to me yeah. a lot more. I, I, honestly, it's like someone crossed an Atari with a jack-in-the-box. Yeah, when you line it up, a boxing glove comes out and repeatedly punches you in the face to the point that you just become a drooling idiot and go out and buy this. So, yeah, that's kind of kind of where I stand on it. But, yeah, it's just relentless. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of... This is a song to get waterboarded to, basically. (laughs) (laughs) It does lack any sort of nutritional value, doesn't it? (laughs) Um, It's interesting your point about the drugs now. I'm literally thinking that this is like... (laughs) This is about as much a drug song as anything by the Grateful Dead. (laughs) (laughs) Different drugs though. Yeah, exactly. Every every drug has its genre. Even more than Ebenezer good. (laughs) Yeah, well, look, it is, yeah, it is just relentless. Look, and I do put it in the same boat as Another Night, Another Dream. I mean, both of them are, despite what Wikipedia says, about nothing. And uh, they just you don't buy that explanation. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, telling of the lyrics. Yeah, Mm. and yeah, there's nothing. I didn't really like it at the time. Uh, I didn't really uh, like it when I listened to it this week. So it's, but there's so much music that sound a lot like this still made today. Uh, Yeah, and and it's made by people and for people who take drugs. 
Yeah, and go to Ministry of Sound or Fabric or Defective Records and all that sort of stuff. I, I want to point out this at, at, at this juncture. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I want to throw that in. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Just, it's just like that. Sorry. <laughs> Brains. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, and this is six weeks in a row. I mean, 1995. I... People have it. <laughs> but I associate this sort of dance music with something a lot later. Like, you know, when the Vega yeah. Boys were around in like 99 and things like that. And we'll talk oh, about those songs. Sound, this is quite a bit heavier. Goes along with the Prodigy and things like that, I would say. For yeah. That kind that's of still didn't come to that 96. I mean, listening yeah. to this oh. this week, I hear a bit of dubstep in it almost. It's got that kind of, like, the the just sheer, like, sort of sonic, like, blasting at you that dubstep sort of has in a certain kind of way. It doesn't have the kind of, it's quite as many weird sounds, but it's not far off. I don't even really still quite know what dubstep is. (laughs) (laughs) Hello to listeners under 25. There is is something about it that I do understand in terms of the physicality of the song, but, yeah, it's so relentless and you just have to, Turn your brain off so far, and it just yeah. It but just this is, there's also the one hook it has, which is that amazing line read from Jack Nicholson. Yeah, right. I reckon yeah. it's got a few hooks. I didn't even realise it was the Jack like uh, Nick Jack Nicholson <laughs> until um That's his brother. until yeah. <laughs> <laughs> until Tim Byron mentioned it. I didn't like I didn't recognise that sample, and I I just thought it was. Honestly, until right now, I thought it was Johnny Carson they were talking about. Oh, did you not? No. Oh, okay, no, it was from the um, the video clip shows the um, that actual scene from the yeah, from right, China, which would cost them a fair bit. Yeah, but if they paid for it, which they probably did, and I wonder if Jack Nichols- Nicholson even knows that he had a number one single in Australia in nineteen ninety five. I don't think Jack Nicholson himself actually owns the rights to that sample. No, no, but no, but it'd be Kubrick. Yeah. Kubrick owns everything. Yeah, it would be. Maybe it was Kubrick's idea. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Conspiracies about that film continue. Um, Soften us up with our eyes wide shut. <laughs> <laughs> with this one, there's um, there's a quote, like, just talking about drugs and things like that. There's, there's a nice quote from a guy called Marcus Brigstock, who you see on QI sometimes, which is um, that if Pac-Man has, had affected us as kids, we'd all be running around in dark rooms, munching pills and listening to repetitive electronic music. Yeah, and, like, I, I, was, I was thinking of that quote. I've heard that quote before, and I was thinking of that when I was listening yeah. to this today. <laughs> so the, the question I do have for, for you guys is, like, how, how into video games were you? In, like, 1995. Like, you know, you would have been 13, 14. It would have been, like, video games would have been a big thing, right? Ish. Like, I was never, I, I you know, um, my brother had a Commodore 64, and then, which would have been gone by this point. Um, I liked them to a point, but I was never a major. Like, we never had a console. Like, we never had, like, a Super Nintendo or a Sigma system or anything like that. So, I was never a huge video game person. And to this day, I'm not. Yeah, I was I was really into them. Right. Uh, I, I've become a lot less so over time, and um, 
Yeah, I, I was I was very into them even at this stage. But um, yeah, I, I mostly like the uh, the Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat style <laughs> 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 style games. So. so so you go down to the time zone or whatever in Tamworth and like just play. Oh, Mortal we didn't Kombat. have the time. Zone. We didn't have, we had mega fun. Anything, we didn't have anything branded in Tamworth. It was it was mega fun. <laughs> mega fun. Yeah, it was mega fun. <laughs> and did you guys have like computer like sort of IBM style computers at the time that you play games on? I had an Amiga 500 and a console, Sega. Yeah, my brother had an Amiga, a couple of Amigas, but we never had a console today. Uh, I am a video game player in the way that people who bought the Nora Jones album are by music fans. So, uh, <laughs> I love it. So, you know. So, you like bought the secret of Monkey Isle. No, no, here's about that. I had a Nintendo 64 console and I owned two games. I owned Mario Kart <laughs> and Goldeneye. You know, that was like the two games that everyone had. <laughs> Actually, that's um, now now that I um, think about it, I did have a Game Boy, a Nintendo Game Boy, and I did oh, love yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But I, then I played a lot of Tetris and Mario. You know, that was kind of it. I yeah. saw a stall in a market that just sold Game Boy games. Oh my god! And it was pretty amazing. What this prices was were they? Fucking hipsters! No, this was before hipsters. How they were? This was like two thousand seven. <laughs> This was 2007, and it was in Berlin, and they were one euro each. Of course, it was in Berlin. <laughs> one euro—that's not—that's not bad. Some of those things you see on like like eBay or something going for quite a bit. But how cool is that? Imagine you saw that and you still had your Game Boy. Yeah, but like whose Game Boy still works? Like I don't know. I don't know where mine is. So oh, I just, <laughs> I just, mine died. It just died. What about you, Byron? But yeah, my um, my dad and, and stepmom were both working with computers, and so they we had like big IBM kind of computers, and I played games on that for most of the weekend at around this point. So I'd be playing um games like, um, I don't know, Commander Keen, uh, Wolfenstein 3D, and things like that, <laughs> like you know, shoot 'em ups and like sort of platform games and stuff like that. And Secret of Monkey Island was awesome. That was the best game. And Wonder Boy, little um, sorry, Wonder Boy, Legend Wonder of Zelda. Boy. Legends. That was a PC stuff. That was oh, all okay. like, you know, Nintendo. So, exactly. Like so I, I was. <laughs> Remember Legend Suit Larry? Legend Suit Larry. Legend Suit Larry. That was the best. Mummies. <laughs> Our third song of tonight was number one for just two weeks from the 6th of May, 1995. And this is Take That with Back the Good. I guess. It's time for me to give up. I think it's time. Got a picture of you beside me. Got your lipstick marks still on your coffee cup. Oh, yeah. Got a fist of pure emotion. Got a head of shattered dreams. Gotta leave it. Gotta leave it all behind now Whatever I said, whatever I did, I didn't mean it I just want you back for good Want you back, want you back, want you back for good Whatever I'm wrong, just tell me the song and I'll sing it You'll be right and understand Want you back, want you back, I want you back for good Well, Casey, we haven't started with you <laughs> No, we haven't. What do you think about this song? Um, 
Yeah, this this is a really interesting one where I um I hated it at the time and I really like it now. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I was really dismissive to this song when it was um when it was around because it was just you know it was boy band and it was, wasn't a lot of guitars going on and wasn't anything sort of and it was a bit soppy and and whatever. But um but yeah, it's one of those songs that um you know, <laughs> yeah just a little bit. Um, but it's one of those songs that in um years hence I've kind of I guess appreciated just what a well constructed version of what it is um of what is uh, you know of its genre that it is you know and um and I actually think that it's quite a sweet little melody and and actually quite like it but what really crowns it for me now is its use in the final episode of The Office The British Office Mm. It is playing um, as uh, Tim and Dawn get together in the in the office. I thought that was only you by Yazoo. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's playing at, at the end when as they, kiss, as, as they, they walk kiss. off together. Oh, when they kiss, they play Yazoo. I'm just going to keep saying Yazoo. <laughs> <laughs> How many times in yeah. one podcast? Is that? I'll pull up the DVDs. I've got them just right there. We'll, we'll, we will watch it as soon as this podcast yeah. is over. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, well, it, it plays in the final sense of the, that get, last episode. Get a <laughs> 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 um, and that that's just and it's so beautifully used there. And, and yeah, I just actually think it's 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 a really good version of, of what it's trying to do. Tim Byron. The thing I think about this song is I just imagine being the record company executive, being the CEO of the record label, and um, and being handed a disc with this song, putting it on, listening to it, and then immediately making a phone call saying, Manuel, buy me a yacht. Yeah. <laughs> and then just masturbating. Yeah, I was like, there had to be a boner reference in there somewhere. <laughs> and, and it's just like, like, you just listen to it, and it's just so perfectly crafted for, a, like, a boy band song in 1995. with like it, It's just super catchy. Like the, will you back? Yeah, yeah, back, yeah, yeah. But they're just gold backing vocals and like the um just like the the conceit of the song that it's about this guy who's like prostrating himself before um before the girlfriend, like going, What have I done wrong? What? What? You know, he's willing <laughs> to do anything to get back for good. And it's like, you know, that that's what a teenage girl wants to hear from a boyfriend and um and that's take that, you know, you know, Robbie Williams sulking for most of the video clip. He he spends most of the video <laughs> clip sulking. And um <laughs> Yeah, so he, he looks like pouty, and so that's probably, like, you know, seen as, like, mysterious and odd and blah, blah, blah. And, yeah, I just, like, listen to it and think this is the perfect song for 1995 boy band. It just, you know, it couldn't sound like anything else like this, and Gary Barlow is obviously a genius. At the time, of course, I hated it because, um, you know, I was male and, um, <laughs> and okay, I guess. Uh, but, yeah, listen Both of things have since changed, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listening to it now, um, it's such a contrast between this and, like, Here's Johnny. Oh, no. It's just like, you know, Here's Johnny is, like, dystopian hell future kind of thing. <laughs> and this is just like, you know, just like, you know, the nice pretty boy band boys doing the nice pretty song. For those, of you, pl- for those of you, you can't dance home, you in a podcast in a little dance, <laughs> which is not a lot of good on an audio-only podcast, but I want to leave you with the image of Tim doing a little dance. It was very hard. Tim Coyle. What about you? Well, <laughs> at the at the time, I loathed it so much because your sister liked it. My right? sister's yeah. favorite song <laughs> <laughs> at the time, yeah. yeah. And yeah, this 
how old was I? 14 mm. at the time. This was never going to capture my uh, capture my imagination. Uh, I think like Casey, I've softened. Uh, I've softened on it quite a lot. And what the other guys have said is right. It's being able to appreciate the craft that goes into this. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's really well done for, for what it is. And another thing is, is uh, in comparison to everything that's come after it, as far as boy bands are concerned, it's really good. <laughs> yeah. It's just, you know, it's, it's so much better than anything that any boy band has done for the last 15 years that, yeah, you've kind of got to pay its due. Uh, there's some things that are, I mean, it's so prissy. It, the sound of it is so prissy and polished and sparkly. And what Tim Byron was talking about, the prostration, I find it so craven and cowardly and spineless. It's such a spineless song that it's like, um, whatever I said, I didn't mean it. It's like, you've got no pride whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> you just don't know anything you do. Totally take Whenever I'm wrong, just tell me the song and I'll sing it. It's like, God damn it. It's like, it's kind of like everything I do, I do it. Yeah. Like everything, like literally everything. Mm. Hey, we grow, we, we, we find it interesting when Walter White says it. reference there too far, you don't get it. That's grow a backbone. It's, yeah. <laughs> Danny. I fucking love this song. Yeah. I'm it is just such a good song, isn't it? I love it, Ben. You're I pretty bought pretty the single. Really. I bought this album. Yeah, but then um, again, you had the album for Real McCoy, so you know. Yes. <laughs> um, such a great song and one that has not dated for me. Hey, look, this is the mid-90s and it sounds as good today as it did yeah. if you were a fan back then. I had no sisters and stuff to be biased about. I don't know anyone else in school that remotely liked any guitar music, let alone had any opinion that there was good guitar music and bad guitar music. Um, so, you know, this was just a great song. I remember loving it. At the time, I think I came to take that a little bit late. <clears throat> I didn't really see all the boy band stuff that, you know, all the, all the shirts off as mechanics film clips, the, you know, all the market, <laughs> the gay market stuff. And it was really on this album that I really heard them and this song that I really sort of paid attention to what Take That did. And they were already the biggest band in the UK at the time. And I just love this song. This is... It's not in these of their masterpiece. I'm going to go as far as to say this is the best song ever done by a boy band ever. Like there is no one, there is no one this good. She loves you. Vibrations. Okay, okay. Post the '60s, right? Like it is like not a not We're a really band, talking like, different genres. But you know, not Gary Barlow. Well, <laughs> I think Tim Barr's got a point. Okay. Well, it's better than She Loves You. <laughs> no, well, yeah, no, it's a great song. Look, and there's lots of songwriting bits in it that are so great. There's that line about unaware but underlined, and that's, you know, a really great little pun that someone like Billy Joel or Elton John or Ben Folds or someone who actually cares about the lyrics might write. Mm. You know, we talk a lot about lyrics sound good. The way it goes in the falsetto and stuff, look, with different production, this could be written... By a better songwriter, but then again, Gary Barlow is well respected as being one of the better songwriters of his generation, and he's definitely proving it now when he's sort of continuing to have massive, massive, massive success. In is the he? UK. Yeah. Well, 
Let's talk about Take That. Um, you know what? I'm going to start because when I moved to London in 2006, Take That got back together. And all of them? No, without Robbie. For the first reunion record, and then Robbie came back for the second reunion record. And, you know, look, Robbie Williams aside, he was never an important part of Take That. As Noel Gallagher said, he was the fat dancer from Take That. And, <laughs> look, then he didn't write the songs. He didn't do anything, right? And then he left. He was the dumb one. <laughs> he left. But then he met a guy called Guy Chambers and then did at least one amazing record. But Take That got back together and the BBC showed... I take that documentary and I remember, you know, I was moving, I was just in London for the first time and I was like, okay, I'm going to try to immerse myself in British culture and went out and bought all these best albums by British bands and I watched that documentary and the suicide helpline when they broke up. They yeah. was the most important thing and it's just, it stuck with me. This It's a pretty good documentary about any band, you know, I can watch documentaries about any band, but... They broke up and on BBC One News they had this announced a helpline phone number to help people cope with it. People were wow. lying in the streets and stuff. And, like, I can't judge that. Like, I look at those girls and I think of Beatles footage and things like that yeah. and I just feel like their hearts are broken and, like, the fact that they need to have a suicide helpline is amazing. And I don't really like too much of Take That's albums now, but they came back and they basically became Maroon 5. And better than Maroon 5, but they're the, you know, they wear sort of expensive suits and they do some stadium tours and they, you know, basically, I don't know. They play the women in their 30s. Well, they can't very well have the stupid haircuts. No. And yeah. kind of wear the classic boy band clothes anymore. It's not without appearing completely ridiculous. But they set the template for every sort of boy band reunion since. You know, it's not really... So the other thing that they've done, but they had a really talented songwriter in Gary Barlow and everything else is every other boy band's going to shoot compared to that. The thing with um, Take That that we probably don't quite realise living in Australia is just how huge they were in the UK. Like this was their first number one single in Australia, but they probably had three or four before this in the UK. um, Oh, they had more than three or four in the UK. Like they were just all over the charts in the UK for for two or three years before this. Uh, whereas mm-hmm. in Australia, they'd maybe gotten into the charts with Relight My Fire, which featured Lulu, of all people. Yes. And, um, but, yeah, and so, like, basically, yeah, that they were much, much bigger there than they were here. Um, we, we, were much, we were really into the stones of um, E17, but we just never really got the <laughs> Beatles of Take oh, That. stop it. Oh, no, look. Oh, my God, they what did you that? just do? Okay, do we all remember the song Never Forget? <laughs> I'll never, never forget what he just said. I, 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 I <laughs> which, which is the name of the, of, the, of the Take That musical. But Never Forget is the greatest Sgt. Pepper ripoff you'll ever hear in your life. It starts with the choir of kids. You know, there's the big trumpet outro. It is like, I, I, don't, I don't know if it's eight minutes long, but it sounds like it's eight minutes long. And it is as demented a masterpiece <laughs> that made it into the pop charts number one as any... But there's, a, but, but there's even a geographic similarity there. Take that, we're distinctly northern, mm. whereas mm. East 17 are very much a London phenomenon. So Just stop it. <laughs> no, look, I, 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 I really loved that this era. I mean, I just have a clear memory of loving Back for Good and then Never Forget came out, which is, look, we'll put it on the blog, it is the most demented number one that any song ever, 
went to in any country, and I put Bohemian Rhapsody in that boat. Danny, we just listened to fucking Here's Johnny. <laughs> no, we had demented, mad genius. Let's throw everything at it. Um, like, it's the, probably the one of the most expensive songs ever recorded to get to number one. If that makes you interested. And then uh, they did How Deep Is Your Love for the best of, and then they broke up. So this is really <laughs> the end of it. And Just this was kind of... seen him walk hard. And yeah, this is the end of their story. I, I listened to Back For Good, and um, I listened to it, and I think this is where, where, where it's love is all around. It's more or less the same arrangement, more or less the same kind of sound. It, it really, really feels to me kind of like wet, wet, wet. And I'm sure that's part of why it was a success here, probably, that we yeah, had maybe. some sort of reference for it. And honestly, you know, it's a good pop song. It's still a load of shit. <laughs> like, it's a good pop song, but like, you know, Tim Coyle talking before about, you know, this song, you know, just being a craven bunch of bullshit you know, I wonder how many, like, 13-year-old girls listen to this or 15-year-old girls listen to this who had, like, you know, their boyfriend and they would just, like, you know, say the stupidest stuff to them and then get angry at them and then see whether the boyfriends would apologise. In this way. <laughs> In this way, yeah, and see whether their boyfriends would measure up to take that. But um, They'd get a stupid haircut and then wear a jacket without a shirt. And- <laughs> <laughs> 90% hits. Our fourth song of tonight was another song that was number one for six weeks. This song was number one for six weeks from the 20th of May, 1995, and this is Mouth by Meryl Bainbridge. I feel like I've been blown apart. There are pieces here I don't know where they go. I don't know where they go. Kiss me on my salty lips. You feel a little crazy, but for me, we'll be famous on TV. Would it be my fault if I could turn you on? Would I be so bad if I could turn you on? When I kiss your mouth, I wanna taste it. Turn you upside down. Where should we start with this song? Tim Coyle, why don't we come back around to you? Yeah, I really didn't like it at the time. It was such a twee overload mm. song uh, that, yeah, it just seemed so light and fluffy and there was nothing there to engage me and just too jaunty for where my tastes fell at the time. Listening to it this week, I, I think I've mentioned before songs that you can see just have so much potential in them. This is another one. I think this could be an amazing song. The the particular version that we that we know and don't quite love um, is not it. But this is very very close. Uh, that Gamelan part, the middle eight. That's that's great. It's so great. And when that transitions to the ukulele as it goes into that last verse. Wow, you went deep. Last chorus of verse. <laughs> Really, really good. I think, yeah, this is, this could have been such a great song and it's close, but yeah, that beatbox thing, oh, God, it annoys me. And particularly over the top of the gamelan bit in the middle eight where he's doing all the panting. Yeah. But anyway, look, you know, song about, the song that 
is misinterpreted as being about blowjobs and snowballing got the number one, so go Meryl. <laughs> wondering when that was going to come up. <laughs> Tim Farage. Oh. Well, yeah, Tim... <laughs> Well, yeah, Tim Coyle's wrong about that. It is a great song and a great performance. <laughs> oh, jeez. It's not just it could be, just is. Um, yeah, I thought it was all right at the time. I don't think I ever paid that much attention to it, but listening to it now, I think the beatboxing and everything in it is nice. I don't think it's really that twee. But then, as we've discussed before, I've seen architecture in Helsinki live. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so I don't yeah. know. It's, it's got a great distinctive production. Like, there's all these sort of weird sounds in it. Like, there's a melodica in there. There's the ukulele and the gamelan and like the sort of honky tonkish piano y sound. It's, um, it's really well put together and it's really bizarre that it was a number one in a lot of ways. It sounds like the kind of thing you would hear on Triple J that would be kind of a medium range hit, but yeah, yeah. it was a huge hit in Australia <clears throat> and it got to number five in the US by an Australian girl who was on John Farnham's label. Wow. So yeah, I like it. Casey. Casey Atkins. Um, very similar to you, Tim. I just, I don't think I paid a lot of attention to it at the time. I can't really remember what my opinion of it was. I think it was just sort of there. I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. And I was really expecting to not, um, I was really expecting to not like it when, um, I listened to it this week and then I did listen to it and I was like, oh, this is, it was a bit of, it was one of those like, uh, hyperdelic moments like this is. Really fucking good. I actually, yeah, I thought it was great, and not so much the um, the instrumentation, although that's that's part of it, and that helps make it interesting. But I just find the um, harmonies in it really interesting. Um, hmm. that, like um, I didn't sort of analyze it to the point where I, you know, maybe could have or should have. But um, there is something in it that's um, uh, really interesting in terms of what I think I gather or sort of assume that it's um, that she does the, the vocal harmony part through the chorus and it's I like that she does her own vocal harmony and, and it's really nicely arranged and it's and it's great and here's me saying that I really like a song with a very very clear reggae beat so I don't know what to say yeah <laughs> yeah her vocal on this is really great like she she has this kind of slightly flirtatious kind of thing to it which is I think Absolutely. partly why people think it is what it is but she's just got such a like a calm and sort of measured way of singing that makes it sort of seem like oh there's no big deal that I'm having a blowjob you know it's <laughs> it's very cute isn't it it's very sort of like sexy kitten sort of cute isn't yeah, it yeah she, she, she has tried too hard yeah she has herself said that was not the intended um, message of the song, although she kind of admits people get that from it, and yeah. that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, if I had written that song and I didn't want people to think it was about that, oh, you know, I would probably say it's not about that. Yeah. Danny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I made my friend Alex sit for six hours at the foreshore of the Darling Harbour uh, to watch a Merrill, free Meryl Bainbridge concert with me around the year that this album came out. I love this song and I love the Garden album. Well, I didn't really like the Garden album, but like I love this song and uh, I actually saw her live on my first ever gigs. So, wow. this is after Girlfriend. After Girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is kind of what I was into. Well, this is kind of things I could get into. All the bands, I, all the other bands I loved were only doing over 18 shows. So, you know. Um, and so there's pop music. Yeah, I love this song. I loved it back then. I love it now. Yeah, it's really cute. And I guess like Tim Byron says, nothing against music. I love Bell and Sebastian and whatever. Um, and yeah, it's really has a nice sort of flirtatiousness to it and it's, it's sweet and 
um, and kind of sexy and yeah, just really just one of those things I loved. I think it got to number one because of what uh, Tim Byron said that it was on Gotham Records, John Farnham's label, and Molly Meldrum uh, massively. Yeah. Yes, I remember it. Yeah, and it was like John Farnham just created a label, and this is the star that's going to come of it, and Molly was kind of behind it. And so there was a lot of exposure on that sort of Hey Hey Channel 9 sort of scene, and it just got to number one. Uh, because of that. So she sort of had the industry support. And and also, we're not a million miles away from Frente. No. Getting, no. Getting yeah. into the, the top ten either. And there's a continuity between Frente and this as well. Mm. And, you know, she was cute and whatever. And, yeah, it was quite a nice song. Uh, and then she disappeared. Yeah, so, so what, what happened? Did anybody look it up? Yeah, she recorded a song with Shaggy. Yes. Oh, a cover of song? I Got You Babe. That's right. Oh, you're kidding. I about yeah. that. She, she oh, kept, she that's some blog photo for us. Before we get to that, she kept on, she kept on trying. Did yeah. she? Just for, I think it was a good seven or eight years, she just kept going and not quite. I think it was a funny thing. She didn't, or she and her label didn't quite know what to make of her because mm. with this, she could very much have fit into that. Frente kind of category, but they were trying to push her as maybe something else and mm, trying yeah. to push the pop style thing a bit more. And yeah, she was basically caught between two ways of presenting herself. Yeah, would oh, this have okay. ever been played on Triple J, this song? Um, no, I don't, I, don't think so. I don't think so. You can, you can see how it would fit. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It, it sort of sounds like that kind of song that Triple J played for a couple of months and it becomes a hit and then they stop playing it. Mm. Mm. Yeah, she like, like, like Ace of Base. Yeah, Ace of Base. I mean, the the, the the instrumentation, things like that. It could definitely fit uh, her look. Definitely could fit yeah. uh, with the Triple J thing. So, uh, it, it's definitely. I I remember between the days, just the follow up album after the Garden being a real priority for the record company. I was working at record stores at the time, and we ordered a lot of it. We thought it would be a big hit. And you kind of just sat in the shelves and never sold. What was the single from the second one? Lonely, I think, was the was the big single from that. Um, well, not so big. Well, not so big. And then yeah. I got you, babe. And, yeah, I mean, it's a flash and pan moment, but it's a song that everyone I know that at least was around at the time still remembers. Sure. And sort of has nice affection for. It's a great yeah. little pop song. Well, there's also, for, for me, it's probably someone who's a little more circumspect about it than the others, although... Uh, I do want to emphasise, I do really, really like this song. Uh, the, the bit at the end where the beatbox is, is gone and I think it's just the melodica under her voice and it's gone, mm. you know, she could just kind of drop the Meryl Bainbridge thing, call herself Old Buffalo and... Um, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's definite Sally Saltman thing going on in, the, in this mm. song and, look, I can't speak highly enough for Sally Saltman as a songwriter and, and composer and yeah this this is something she would be would have been happy with so yeah yeah that's mm. high praise from me it also sounds quite modern to me listening mm. to again this no, definitely like, yes that you know you said Sally Saltman but yeah it could be tap power it could be when those sort of artists especially toy around with a little bit of I don't um, know about tap um, power but yeah well, but you know in terms of mean. that beat it's got that kind of indie now <laughs> yeah, it has the sort of sound of like being on a commercial on TV. You know those songs that like go on commercials on TV, like so Feist kind of, or something. Yeah, like Feist. So that kind of twee kind of sound that they, they sell cars with these days. It sort of has that well, sound said, to it. She, she said she'd be famous on TV. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And All right, so I, think the thing have, <laughs> so I think the thing we have to talk about with this song now is, of course, um, 69s. <laughs> do we? I I just kind of think that like with this song, I, one of the things I do remember was someone was telling <laughs> me on the playground. Take a screenshot of my face right now. Yeah. Sorry? <laughs> Take a screenshot of my face once you put that up. <laughs> All right. Keep going. Not, keep going. It's not a good figure. Uh, no, it's not that good. Yeah, I just remember on the playground, like I was just sort of liking the song and someone was like, do you know that's about like 69s? And I was like, What's yes. a 69? Because I didn't want to say what's a 69. Yeah. <laughs> so I was just like, yes. Yeah, of course I do. <laughs> of course I do. And so I didn't actually know what a 69 was. And so I was like, oh, so this is sexual. Okay. I thought it's just like a nothing song. So, but yeah, at the time I kind of like, I was told by someone it was about that, but I didn't really know what it was about or what 69s were or whether the song's actually really about that. I reckon it's kind of almost like more about lesbian sex because she talks about kissing your salty lips at one stage. <laughs> But all I want to say is, like, it was only about three years ago that I realised the, the the term sex pistols is kind of rude. So I don't know what's going on. <laughs> you know what? I would like to think that it's just actually quite innocent. And it's just I think, about I think it's unintentional. But the interview in which she says that was not the intention, she's like, if people took it that way, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Good for you, Meryl Penrick. Yeah. I, I yeah, I, it's a bit like the Al Green thing of like, oh, I know what people think of my songs, but I'm a religious man and I'm just, it's, I know what I yeah. wrote it for. And it's very chaste and sort of love, but he also knows that probably lots of babies were made listening to Al Green songs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I don't know. We've I, been committed marriage relationships. Um, but the, uh, <laughs> the idea of like songs that were rooted and I understood, I mean, God, that's every song. Like, I mean, the other, the other thing that annoys me about School, uh, oh, like I really All hate. I want to do is make love to you. Is that about sex? Like I really hate when everyone says that every, well, not everyone, but like every song in the fucking world is about heroin. But then yeah. she goes, "Song about heroin," and uh, and another girl, another planet. Talking about heroin. It's just like Gold, Golden Brown by the Stranglers. Yeah, it's about heroin. Well, that one's actually yeah. about heroin. So. Angie by the Rolling Stones. Heroin. About heroin. Yeah. So you know, Meryl Bainbridge mouth about heroin. So it's like <laughs> you know, I think so. Well, once you're back, so that. Yeah. yeah. Heroin. <laughs> that probably is about heroin. I know. I think. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about with this, just briefly, was just how this song. As long as, as much as it's not dated, is kind of indicative of its time. Yeah. You know, kind of other, like, I think of people like Max Sharam and all those sort of people. Max Sharam, yeah. Or, and then Jules there was Sabool. that. Yeah. But then there was that really, like, I mean, sure, Crow probably isn't too far. But, like, I think, like, when we think of songs like Strong Enough and stuff, but I really think, like, um. Cheryl Crow doesn't have the twee, though. I mean, Cheryl Crow has um oh, when I think of something like strong enough I guess it's just like there's nothing to the instrumentation so bad. but also like Wendy Matthews and all that sort of stuff like these people were still in the charts at the time Deborah Conway Deborah Conway yeah and it's just like I kind of had a passing interest in all those sort of artists at the time but there's something about Meryl Bainbridge that did actually appeal to a 14 year old boy yeah blowjobs 
Yeah, I, I, I really loved giving those at 14. Oh. <laughs> While on heroin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I went to an old boys' school. <laughs> so, uh, 19. <laughs> And now we've uh, come to our fifth song of tonight. This song was number one for a merciful one week. <laughs> merciful one week in 1995. And this is Brian Adams with Have You Ever Really Loved a Woman? To really love a woman To understand her Gotta know it deep inside Hear every thought See every dream And give her wings when she wants to fly Then when you find yourself lying And that was Have You Ever Really Loved a Woman by Brian Adams, number one for just one week in 1995. And I'm personally quite glad that Brian asked me that question. Um, <laughs> Casey, why don't we start with you? Have you ever really loved a woman? Yeah, sure. Well, look, um, <laughs> Brian Adams, hey, it's, um, you know, I probably prefer, I, I probably go back to the old um, Whiskey Town albums more than anything else. So, <laughs> Heartbreaker still gets a run from time to time. I don't listen to Gold so much, but um, I reckon Faithless Street is probably the one I listen to more than anything else. How about that gig? And was Faithless Street, really? Yeah, yeah. He didn't write half those songs. Yeah, Cold Yeah, I never really went past um, past Gold as, in a solo, but that that, uh, that gig and was it 2001, 2002 at the Metro, and he went on for like three hours. It was, <sighs> Until you yelled out, play somewhere 65. <laughs> yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, do you reckon anyone goes to Brian Adams gigs and goes, play? Well, he had no hits. So yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> so basically, um, for York, the benefit York. of the listener, I just decided that I'm done talking about Ryan Adams. <laughs> now. Just trying to think of just, the worst song to heckle Brian Adams. <laughs> Played last year and you just smiled. <laughs> what the hell? Um, so, no, the one thing to say about um, about this song is that he, um, he did manage to get the guitar player from Hazard by Richard Marks. <laughs> 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 Um, yeah, look, for those of you who've been listening to this podcast for a while, you'll know Brian Adams killed Mary. Brian killed Mary. Do you know? By playing your song. I was going to say, I'm glad you got the guitar player that did the soundtrack to the Channel 9 soft porn series, Chances. (laughs) (laughs) 
It just sounds like something. <laughs> well, are we up to? Is this five? This is no four. 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 So, so uh, to recap, it's everything I do, I do for you. Please forgive me. All for one. And now this. And now this. And so yeah, so I'm just gonna talk about um, talk about Ryan Adams for a while, uh, and that's me, Tim Byron. I actually do remember watching this on Rage in the morning and thinking, well, no, I haven't actually ever loved a woman because I'm 13. <laughs> <laughs> and that's illegal at the point. But yeah. what about your mother? Didn't you love your mother? I don't think that's oh. quite the kind of love that Brian <laughs> was talking about. I, I, I realise that, but, like, if you take it just at its ba- most basic kind of, you know, if you... Can't open worms everywhere. Yeah, sorry. I don't know. So, move on. I I remember, yeah, I remember not liking this at the time. I remember thinking that it was, you know, perhaps even more to an extent than the other ones. So, I kind of realised, yeah, this is shit at the time. I remember maybe even thinking that, like, just that it was so sort of craven and and bullshitty. And and so, I remember, yeah, not liking it. And watching the video this week, I watched the video this week, and, um, Brian Adams is looks the stupidest of anybody I have ever seen in one of those Zorro masks. Like he looks so bad in that Zorro mask. Like he looks like he's such a like a a goof. You know, he's such a goof looking in that in that bloody Zorro mask. He just doesn't look like he's possibly remotely sort of mysterious or sexy. He just kind of looks sort of half embarrassed that he's in this bloody mask in a video clip. And so yeah, I, I don't know. Like, it's it's all like dating advice from Brian Adams. It's like Brian Adams, the agony art. You know, my woman seems like she's having a hard time with self help recently. How can I help? Well, son, she needs someone to tell her that things are going to last forever. Thanks, agony art, Brian Adams. <laughs> Tim Coyle. Yeah, this this blows so much. As <laughs> as someone who who was a Brian Adams fan and therefore listened to a lot of those really good old songs. Like summer of '69, or speaking of '69s, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which puts a whole new spin on that song. Let me just say, and that was intentional. Summer of that '69 was intentional. Yeah. It was about heroin, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, songs like summer of '69 is straight from the heart and stuff like that. Just there was some, even at this time, there was some faint hope that there was going to be another song like that coming out. But no, it was this. It was, it was kind of like, I don't know, it was like, the generals were due. <laughs> <laughs> Hoping for a good Brian Adams song at this stage was like betting against the guard, the Harlem Globetrotters. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's the thing, you're watching it, and it's, it's just Brian Adams spinning the ball on his finger. Take it, take it, Oh, you know, the Harlem Globetrotters are actually playing at our local sort of like the convention oh centre down the road. And I'm kind of tempted to go just because I don't know like what the whole point of the Harlem Globetrotters is. And I'm just curious. Oh, well, I reckon you should go. Yeah, yeah you've got to go. It's like they do a whole bunch of stupid stuff like drive a fire engine out onto the corn and then slam dunk on a ladder. They don't actually do math like if you drive. Oh. Showboating Globetrotter algebra. <laughs> anyway. Mm. What an insipid song. So, I own this album as of course, well. Of course you do. This is the era where I was just buying everything. <laughs> so, I have the Australian tour edition of 18 Till I Die, uh, with the only thing that looks good on me is you. See, the only thing that looks good on me is you is the um, him trying to go back to the other. Can't go back to yeah. him. 
Uh, 18 till I die. Let's make a night to remember. Uh, oh, January to December. To December. Great line. Great line. Everyone. Shit songwriters everywhere just went. Why didn't I think of that? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what a terrible song. The, it, I do like that, you know, we've said that his number one singles and ballads happened for the copies of Everything I Do, I Do For You. And I'm like, oh, okay, he did something different. Yeah, yeah, I like the Spanish the, guitar. Yeah, you broke the mold. fucking worst Spanish guitar. I should hate that sound. And so... Uh, <laughs> Uh, even better, but <laughs> the stupid hand claps. <laughs> In a funny uh, kind of way, the song reminds me of um, "Save the Last Dance for Me" by the Drifters, which has a similar sort of feel, no, but but much well, less, yeah, <laughs> much less sort of annoying Spanish guitar. Anyway, Danny. Oh, I was just going to say, just to give him context of what you were saying about the Zorro mask, this song was used in the movie. Do we all remember what that like movie Don was? Don Juan DeMarco. Don Juan DeMarco. No one remembers that film. No. Less people saw that film than a tourist, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, so, are these, uh, how many of these songs, um, these number one songs three were three from films? This is three, three out of four. Yeah. Three out of four. Yeah, three out of four. This is what he did. He was the ballad soundtrack guy. Yeah. I'm pretty sure this song was written for that film and not for the album. Like it was, And then it was just kind of included on the tour edition of 18 until I died. Yeah. Because so, I feel like it, it sort of has that <coughs> thing. Like he's addressing the... Um, like it, it feels like he's addressing it to the guy who Johnny Depp is playing, the Don Juan character, who's like the the womanizer kind of guy pretending to be that. It feels like that. And he's asking Don Juan, "Have you ever really loved a woman, or are you just like a sleazy fuckball?" <laughs> and, and and the question just remains unresolved by the end of it. Really, doesn't mm. it? Um, just like many of his look, it's such a shit. I mean, it's a shit song for a shit film. Johnny Depp is shit, and it's just like. <laughs> It's just shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a bunch of shit people getting together and shitting. So it's. Uh... <laughs> but, but here's the, here's the thing. Do you th- do you think it's worse than Awful Love? No. Yes, I do. I, I don't do. think it's worse. But that actually, I that do. is the question. Which do you think is the best and the worst the, of these that, four songs? That, that is the question. And you know what? Of the four, <laughs> this could be the best. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, Claude. I think everything I do is the best out of the four, but Awful Love is the far and away the worst. I think everything I do is the best, and this song's easily the worst. Right. <laughs> the worst for, worst for me is probably Please Forgive Me. I think that's the worst. Like, Awful Love <laughs> yeah, at least has Rod Stewart and Sing to make it vaguely interesting at times. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I would agree. So I think you and I are, are on, a, on the same page. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And look, it is another Mutt Lang. Bloody Mutt Lang. <laughs> of course it is. It's a model, right? I'm not. I'm not sure if he's married Shania Twain at this point, but I'm sure it's close. Uh, and but yeah, Lang, Mutt. This guy but. worked on ACDC albums. You know, we just so. call him Butt Lang. <laughs> Shit Lang. <laughs> um, so yeah, look, Brian Adams. We've talked about him four times yet, and now we think we're all tired of talking about him. To the point where I just wanted to talk about a different artist. <laughs> Can we just talk about, like, um... Well, it's Ryan Adams' own fault. His first name is David. Yes! Yeah. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have to because, say, because his father's name's David, maybe. I have to say, well, I'd much David prefer Adams Brian Jr. Adams over Ryan Adams. So, <laughs> it's just like... Oh, shit. <laughs> I can't stand Ryan Adams anymore. I know, anymore, yeah. But he, but he is one of those artists where he's been so shit that I can't listen to any of his albums anymore. Like, 
That's a special boat. <laughs> Whereas right now, Brian Adams, we could always return to. Yeah, keep going back to 18 below the way in your collection, do you there, Danny? This is more than... Because you know, that, that, that guy's never put a turd in the punch bowl. <laughs> <laughs> Where did that phrase uh, come from? When did someone first put a turd into a punch bowl? <laughs> <laughs> I, I first, Bill Hicks Brian said, Adams did it in about 1995. <laughs> <laughs> I first heard it in an interview with Michael Stein, which is a likely candidate. Yeah. There's a Phil Hicks joke about, I think maybe it's... I'll show these Yankees. No, I think, I think it's about non-smokers going, non-smokers, every word they say is like a turd in my drink. And um, so, yeah, that might be where it originated from. I don't know. The etymology of comedy. But the, the idea of it doing it, like to, of putting a turd into a punch bowl <laughs> is better than just putting it into a drink. I think you can just imagine someone sort of like personal if you put it in a drink. <laughs> yeah, but it ruins like an entire party. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, you think about all the alcohol in that punch bowl that's been ruined by the shit. <laughs> I would rather drink that than listen to this song. So <laughs> we can test that. <laughs> just on the one side, have an iPod with this song queued up. On the other. It's always terrible. I can't believe you guys think that this is the best of the lot. Yeah, but like, it's not really. It's the 12th tallest midget. This is who is your favourite Nazi. I just wonder with this song, is did Brian Adams just reach the point with, what can I throw at these people? Can I just take a sack full of kittens and beat it with a crowbar and because it has the name Brian Adams on it, people will buy it. It's always produced by my name. It's, it's the, yeah, it's fart in the jar. Like, you could re- release a fart in the jar. <laughs> yeah, it was called Please Forgive Me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just envisaged like, this bookshelf in the Adams Mansion with several jars lined up on with masking tape and please forgive me written on it or everything I do written on it or have you ever really loved a woman on it and then just a giant big bucket with awful love written on it. Punchball as well. So that brings us to the end of our first part of 1995 and we spoke about five songs tonight, and as usual, we'll go around the table and see what everyone's favourite is. And just to recap, the songs we talked about tonight were Real McCoy with Another Night, Hocus Pocus with Here's Johnny, Take That, Back the Good, Meryl Bainbridge, Mouth, and Brian Adams, Have You Ever Really Loved a Woman? Tim Byron. I'm kind of tempted to pick Here's Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> so are you going to? No, I'm going to pick Mouth because it's a much better song, but I just felt like yeah. picking it. So, yeah, Mouth by Mel Bainbridge, that's for me. Casey? Um, yeah, Mouth by Mel Bainbridge. I'll, I'll give um, Take That a, um, a very close second. Mouth. Yeah, well, I'm back for good. I just think it's a great song, but Mouth is a very close second for me as well. Yeah. So, yeah, um, a pretty cool week. Well yeah. <laughs> really, wasn't it? I, I, think, I, I think it's really been dragged down by a couple of... <laughs> Terrible, terrible songs. Yeah, um, back for good. <laughs> uh, such a great song. Uh, 
We will be back next week with another five songs from 1995. Pretty much takes us almost to the end of 1995. Uh, Casey, in the meantime, do you want to let people know where they can find us on the internet? Uh, you can find us about anywhere you would care to look. Um, <laughs> you'll find us behind your sofa. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you'll find us on Punchbowl. <laughs> you'll find us on Facebook. You'll find us on Twitter. You'll find us on Tumblr. And you can email us at Gmail. We are 90% hits percent spelled out in words in all instances. And Tim, do you want to let us know what's going on on the blog? Yeah, on, on our Tumblr, 90%hits.tumblr.com, uh, we post lots of stuff about things, this, that, and everything. We'll post. Uh, a post about each of the five number ones from the week. We'll post uh, uh, other songs uh, by those artists if you want to hear the other song by Real McCoy that was their follow-up single or a follow-up single for Meryl Bainbridge. We'll post a link to that. Um, we also post uh, uh, reviews of the number twos of the of the time period. So, like, the number twos, the songs... <laughs> and by number twos, we're not talking about the... Um, have you ever really loved a woman? To the world, we're talking about the song that "Have you ever loved, really loved a woman?" stopped from being a number one. We're going to post reviews uh, about that, and we're, and we're all going to post our favourite punch bowl. Yeah, <laughs> speaking of number two, <laughs> that is that is we we, we we talk punch bowl. That is punch bowl on the bank yeah, line. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yes, and, and review review us on iTunes. And leave a leave a rating and, and please leave a comment. We do read all of them, and it does help us become more visible on iTunes and. Uh, with a lack of a sign-off, uh, we are left with just asking a question, which is, if you do know what happened to Mary in Hazard, uh, please let us know. There's, an, there's someone set up a car along outside. Dude, it's the cops. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's I was wondering, is that the video game music? <laughs> yeah. I just stashed. <laughs> yeah. yeah.